So,
Now you can hear me. I unmuted the microphone. Can I just say, it is so good to see you here this morning. Thank you so much for coming and uh, being a part of our first regathering. I know we had a slight change in the service time, so I'm sure this is a bit of a stretch to get people here on time as well. Um, we have folks spread throughout the church, um, so we're going to try to do this thing right and be joyful and uh, celebrate the fact that we get to come back together uh, for worship. Our hope is to continue to gather and to be here safely uh, as we can. So I just have a couple of opening reminders and announcements for everyone here this morning. Um, just so you know, you probably saw this on your way in, there's hand sanitizers strategically scattered around the church. Please, you know, take advantage of those. Feel free to use those. We've checked our sources on that. We've got quality stuff from the United States, so no worries about that. Um, wanted to let you know that all bathrooms are open except those are on the third floor. So that's a, a bit of a change since our, our last uh, email that went out. We have opened up all the facility restrooms except those on the third floor. Uh, also, offering boxes. We're not going to be passing plates today. So there are offering boxes located throughout the sanctuary outside the worship spaces. Uh, if you need help finding one, uh, just talk to one of the ushers and they can point them out to you. But uh, for those of you in the sanctuary, they're just outside uh, the sanctuary doors and to the left. And um, you've probably heard me mention the symptom-free wellness policy in p- previous weeks, so I just wanted to go over that because it's really helpful for us as we are trying to identify and reduce risk for COVID-19. You know, we've learned through this season that the symptoms just aren't clear all the time. Some people can be rather asymptomatic. They might think they just have a cold or allergies or whatever, and they're actually Corona, uh, COVID-19 positive. So anyway, what we're asking is if you have any symptoms and you don't have a diagnosis, please just make sure that you stay home until you're better or until you have a diagnosis and then come on back. If it's allergies, we'd love to have you here. Um, But we just want to be sure that we're being careful so that we are taking care of one another and loving one another well in this time. Well, this hour is dedicated to worship And so I would like to begin with a call to worship from uh, Psalm 111. And uh, we can't recite things this morning. We're not going to be having congregational singing, but we can stand for the reading of God's Word. And for this call to worship, I would invite you to stand this morning and listen as God calls us to worship from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him and remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people and he commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Amen. Please be seated and let us uh, continue in worshiping this morning as Luke leads us with a gathering song.
Thank you so much, Luke. I really appreciate that song as we prepare our hearts to come together in prayer. What a great reminder of uh, the Lord's presence with us. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with mixed emotion. We have great joy in our hearts as we gather together this morning, and we also have a bit of sadness at the emptiness that we feel in the rooms, the weirdness that we feel in just the order of our worship, the wearing of masks. And Lord, we know that as we come in this room before you to commune with you, we know we can wear no mask that can fool you about our righteousness and how we have lived. We come with great sorrow this morning, even amidst the joy knowing how we have sinned against you. Lord, you know all things. You know when we've thought things that are impure. You know when we've shouted or muttered under our breath in anger. You know when we've spoken slander or gossip. You know when we've done things to bring ourselves shameful glory instead of living in ways that glorify you. You know when we have given in to despair and felt as if a problem is too big for you to handle. Father, giver of all life and of all good things, we are weak and in need. So we come before you knowing we are in need of forgiveness, forgiveness that you promised to us. So in this quiet moment, hear our silent prayers as we ask for your forgiveness now. Father, we are also in need of your assurance. How good it is for us in prayer to remember the words of Psalm 103, which remind us that you have dealt with our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed transgression from us through the life and death of Christ. What a great assurance we have in that truth. Bind our hearts up with that wonderful and joyous assurance. And Father, we also recognize we are in need of assistance. We need your help to live as you would have us to live. And so in this hour of worship, we ask for you to teach us. Instruct our hearts. Write your truth upon our hearts. Plant it deep in us so that we might be those who bear fruit for your glory in your name. Open our hearts and minds as we open your word. And we ask, Father, for you to speak to us now. For all these requests, Lord, we lift them up to you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, we uh, have always had a children's message, even when we went fully virtual, so I'm going to continue with the children's message theme. And uh, what I'd like to begin with, for any kids that are with us this morning or watching at home, 
is I'd like to talk a little bit about what it means to be a witness. That's something we're going to be talking about in our bigger message here in just a few moments. And a witness is a word that we don't use a whole lot, but basically it's a word that means to testify to the truth that you know. So to tell the truth that you know. That's what it means to be a witness. And so when we are talking about what it means to be a witness in the Bible, it's always talking about the truth of what we know about who God is, about who Jesus was and what he did, and about what, uh, uh, what he did accomplishes for us, that we are a part of God's family um, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it does not put an age limit on being a witness. There's no age limit on being a witness. One of the things that I love about our faith is that from the youngest of those who can understand the truth and know it, all the way to the oldest who can barely remember what they had for breakfast the next morning, they can know the truth and bear witness to the truth of what Christ has done for us. And so what I love, and I can tell you so many stories of people who are little, ones who are three and four and five, six and seven, eight, nine, ten, who have spoken truth to me in an hour of need. I can tell you of times where my own son has reminded me, well, Daddy, shouldn't we just pray? What a witness. And so, boys and girls, if you're listening this morning, I want you to know that the beauty of this church is that you are a part of it. You can be a witness, and you can testify. You don't have to have all the answers, but just talk about the truth of the answers that you know. That's a very important lesson that I hope you never forget. Now, as we get into our bigger message, we're going to talk about being a witness more and more. And let's do that at this time. So, as we begin our message this morning, I would like to start by talking a little bit about the word essential. This is a word we have heard a lot. If you saw the Atonement Life article, or paragraph rather, this week that I put out, you kind of know where I'm going with this. This word is a word that's used to describe those services and people in our society that we really depend upon, you know, that we can't have any breaks from their service. And um, it's been a way that we try to categorize those most important aspects of our lives. And interestingly, depending on what state and what county you live in throughout our country, houses of worship are sometimes categorized as essential, that the limitations on assembly and practice of faith don't apply. Uh, other places, they are not considered essential. And even among faith leaders, there are decisions that are being made that are really surprising to me. I've driven past a number of churches, and you know, it's very easy to set up a, a phone or have some sort of way to go online and have teaching to make sure that we're staying connected. And I see on their signs, services canceled. And that's it. The buildings are abandoned. I've driven past several churches where they don't think it's essential to still have any kind of gathered worship or regular teaching, as far as I can tell. It, and I just think, what, what kind of witness does that say? Where there's no public effort to tell people this message is important. And so I wrestle with that. And even within churches who have continued to try to make the compromises necessary to have our worship together again, you know, we've had to have very weird discussions about what ministries or aspects of ministry are essential and which are not. 
And what we're saying there is we're not suggesting that there are ministries that aren't essential, but really are there ministry practices or programs that maybe aren't safe to do at this time till we know more about uh, this virus and how it works. And so I can tell you that this has been one of the most difficult and painful parts of being a leader in the church right now is having to make those kind of uh, decisions and have those discussions. And even this morning, as we gather and we are here and excited to be together, I'm sure you can, we can all acknowledge, like, it feels weird, right? Does it feel a little weird? Yeah. It feels weird to be here. And so this series that we're starting is called Essential Church. And it's going to be a study of lessons through the book of Acts. Uh, it's not going to be an exhaustive study of the book of Acts, but we're going to be looking at lessons from the book of Acts to remind ourselves of the purpose of the church and to remind ourselves of those aspects of church that are essential to what we do and the call that we have upon our lives. So before we read our scripture this morning, I would like to give just a brief background on the book of Acts. The book of Acts is volume two of a theological history written by uh, Luke. Many scholars believe Luke, no, not this Luke, not Luke Link, Luke, uh, the Gentile physician. That's what many scholars believe uh, Luke was. He was a, considered to be a Gentile and a physician. Um, and in his writing, Luke is also serving as a theologian and a historian. He's very, very careful. If we read the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he's very careful about including important details to verify the historical accuracy and claims of these Christian testimonies. And so Luke We'll see if you look at his books. He addresses both books to somebody named Theophilus. And I don't have enough time to go into that this morning about who that might be. Um, There's a lot of times where ink has been spilt about what he might mean when he regards this one called Theophilus. Um, But regardless of that, these books are so helpful for us in the church. And so what I'd like to do is um, see how these two books connect One of the ways they connect is in Luke chapter 24, it ends by taking a look at the last settings that Jesus has with his disciples, including his ascension up into heaven. And what we'll see here in Acts chapter 1 is Luke begins by picking up right where he left off. And so let's uh, begin by reading our passage this morning. I hope you brought your Bibles with you and have them available. We're going to look at Acts uh, chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Listen now to God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, 
and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthias, or in Matthew, excuse me, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You can see how Luke is picking up the scene at Jesus' ascension with the disciples returning to Jerusalem and, and gathering. And so we're zooming in on this final conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And we can see how Jesus, how Luke wants to connect God's plan of redemption and restoration. That does not end with Jesus going to heaven, but rather it's going to continue in a very special way through the witness of his disciples. And so we're going to look at this passage and we're going to look at two things. The first thing we're going to look at is that the disciples ask a question. The disciples ask a question and they ask a good question. And verse 6 says, when they were gathered together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I've heard some wonderful pastors preach on this passage. They're great pastors and they love God's word, but I've also heard them say, you know, the disciples, they just don't get it. You know, they're so, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom and, and they still think it's about returning Israel, you know, and having it free from Roman occupation. And that might be true. But the way that they handle their question is a bit dismissive, as if they were, they were asking something that's ridiculous. But in fact, their question was exactly what they should have been asking. Why? Well, their question proves that they knew their Old Testament. Passages like Psalm 126 Passages like Joel 2, which we will visit next week, where God talks about pouring out His Spirit. Passages like Ezekiel 39, where uh, we see this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name, and I will not hide my face from them when I pour out my Spirit upon the house of Israel declares the Lord. These passages, and more like them, were promises that many Jews longed to see come to pass. And so you might even remember my very first sermon that I ever preached here at Church of the Atonement was on Simeon and Anna. And Simeon was one who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? He had so much hope for that. Um, And so he was longing and waiting, and the Spirit led him to look at the eight-day-old baby Jesus. So his disciples, the disciples here aren't asking a dumb question. They were primed to expect the kingdom to come. Luke records in uh, Luke 24 that he had opened their minds to the scriptures. In our passage, we see that during the 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so when the disciples hear him speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they sense that he's leaving, They were thinking, this is it. The Spirit's going to pour out. This is when Israel will be redeemed and restored. And so this wasn't a silly question. It was actually a very good one. 
And Jesus takes their questions seriously. That's the second thing we're going to look at. Jesus gives a perfect answer. The first thing that he says is he says, don't worry about the times. It's not for you to know the times. Here we see a glimpse of Christ's perfect wisdom. Imagine if you had the opportunity to know exactly the day that you would die. How would that change the way that you live every day? Think about what God calls you to do, how he calls you to be focused on him, to be on his mission and represent him to your family and to the world. And if you knew the day that was coming and when that would take place, or maybe the day that you would lose a loved one, how would it maybe tempt you to treat your days differently? Right now we live in a time where we don't know when Christ will return. We don't know when our last day might be. We have to live as if every day is our last. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Imagine the temptation and pressures that the disciples would face hearing that it would be at least 2,000 years, still counting, before Christ would return. They had a mission that they needed to accomplish, and they did not need to know or worry about the time of that mission. So what Jesus was doing here is he's adjusting their perspective. They were right about the kingdom. The kingdom has come, but not all at once. And until it does, it must grow. So they did not need to worry about the when, only the what. So Jesus, in perfect wisdom, tells them only what they need to know for their next step of obedience. And isn't that how God works so many times in our lives? So he tells them that they don't need to worry about the time. He also says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So here he clarifies their call as disciples and also the source of strength that they will have to complete that mission. Christ fulfilled the Father's plan and now he is commissioning his disciples to continue the plan, not by their own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rested upon Jesus to testify to his identity as God's son when Jesus was baptized, that's the same power that needs to come upon them to testify to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, this truth. There to be witnesses. This word witnesses that we see in Scripture that Luke uses in Luke 24 and also in Acts 1, it's the idea of an eyewitness. It's the language of a courtroom testimony, people that saw it firsthand. And so they are to bear witness to all that Jesus said and did. They are to be witnesses for the resurrection, to testify of the truth of his miracles and testify about the truth of his identity, that, that people need to know he is the Son of God. He died for sin and rose again, and he's coming back. And you can be reconciled and know the living God now through his grace. That was their mission. The other thing that we see Jesus say in his response is that the kingdom is bigger than Israel. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all Samaria, which is all old Israeli borders, and to the ends of the earth. The geographic expansion that Luke gives us here will actually serve as the outline for the book of Acts, but it also traces the movement and expansion of the church through God's leading. In doing so, what Luke's doing here is he's actually foreshadowing about the building of this New Testament people of God, that the church will consist not just of those who were part of Israel and scattered throughout the world, but even Gentiles. It will be inclusive of every tribe and tongue. 
though his disciples don't know it yet, and there's a lot of things we'll get to in the coming of this series that proves they didn't know how big this was going to be. But Jesus reveals to them in his, re- in his response that God's plan has a much longer trajectory than right now, and that God's plan has a much larger territory than they might have originally thought. Now, we can get to a point of application with this passage because this passage, there's so much that we could study here and focus in on, but what we're looking at is the essential church, right? There's so much in this passage that is a great reminder of why the church is essential. The church is essential because Jesus made it essential. Jesus made it essential. This is a mysterious and a very wonderful thing that God chose to pour his spirit upon people and use people, sinners saved by grace, to be witnesses of his existence to the world. And doesn't that just boggle your mind? He uses us to be the witness, to be the visible representation of his love and his power and his grace to the world. So that people would say, I see the church. I see that Christian. And I believe God is real. That is a wild thing to consider, but that is what Acts 1 tells us. The church is essential. God has chosen us the church, to be his witnesses. Now, these apostles were eyewitnesses. They've seen Jesus' baptism. They've seen his teaching, his signs, his death, his resurrection, now his ascension. And so their mission was very clear for them. They had seen all these things. All their senses had been involved in those experiences. And I think it's so interesting. The disciples start their mission, as we see in verse 14, by waiting in prayer. I love how Luke records the 100% buy-in from Jesus' disciples. All 11 of the remaining disciples plus the women. Verse 15 talks about 120 of them all together waiting. They didn't know the full plan. They didn't know what this witness would look like, but they knew the next step of obedience, and they're waiting for the Spirit in prayer. They knew Jesus. They knew his teaching. They knew what they had seen, and so they did what he asked. They waited. I love how R.C. Sproul comments on this passage. He says, in an answer to the disciples' questions about the kingdom, we see that Jesus gave the fundamental mission of the church. Mankind would be blind to his kingship, so his disciples would be given the task of making it visible. The fundamental task of the church is to bear witness to the kingdom of God. Our king reigns now. And so for us to put the kingdom of God entirely in the future is to miss one of the most significant points of the New Testament. Our king has come, and the kingdom of God has begun, and it's growing. The future aspect of the kingdom is that day of final restoration, final consummation, the day when it comes in its fullness. Now, you and I, we are not the 11. We are not the 11. We did not see Jesus' ministry firsthand. So how are we to be witnesses? We are still called to witness. Just as creation testifies to God's invisible attributes in a general way, every member of the church in whom God's Spirit rests is to testify specifically about the redemption and reconciliation that comes only through Jesus. So what do we base our witness upon? We base our witness upon the truth 
of God's Word. The witness of the apostles has been recorded for us in a book that we believe is divinely inspired and protected, a book that is inerrant, a book that is trustworthy in all ways. So that book becomes a source for us to bear testimony. We are essentially given an eyewitness account to hold up and say, here is the truth. And so we testify to that truth. So that's our first source of our witness. But secondly, we have not seen the resurrection, but we have definitely seen the power of the resurrection. While we missed witnessing the event of the empty grave, we have witnessed what that empty grave accomplished. We've seen how God's power has worked miracles in us. Christians know the past that they have lived, and when they have been saved by God, they know what they have been saved from. We have seen God's power still working miracles, changing us into his likeness. And we also know of the times where God has acted faithfully according to his word, protecting and providing when there looked like there was no way to be protected or provided for. In healing and making whole, whenever we thought the brokenness or the disease was too far. We know the truth of those things. We know how the power of the resurrection has manifested itself in the life of the church, in the lives of the church. And so that is a basis for our testimony. We share and we witness, look, I can't tell you, I can't explain and prove to you that God is real, but this is what I know. I was here and God brought me here and that's what I know. And that is a witness. And someone can do that whether they're four or 104. And that is our task. Our task is essential. Not because God couldn't do it without us, but because he chose to do it through us. And so in this time when people are, are going through life and we're asking ourselves what is essential and what is not, and wh- whether the, this church is faith, is church really essential to our society? We know we are. We know that for times and seasons like this, this is why God has placed us here on Georgia Avenue, in this community, in this county, to bear witness that God is real, that the coronavirus, and however scary it is, does not detract from the truthfulness of God, that racial uh, Tension and sin and hatred and bigotry and prejudice and all that stuff that is existing in our country right now that we are trying to learn how to talk through, that that does not mean that God is not real. We stand as a witness to say he is real. Christ is real. And God has called us for that purpose. I think it's a wonderful thing to begin this series of reminding ourselves from God's word This is why he put us together. He put us together to share about the truth as we know it. He gave us our spheres of influence. He gave this church the gifts that we have of music, of compassion, of service, of loyalty, of faithfulness. He gave us all these things to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what that mission will look like over the next several months. In fact, it doesn't matter if there's a pandemic happening or whether life feels like it's all roses. We don't know what the mission will look like moving forward. 
gives us exactly what we need to know to pursue that mission. He tells us what our mission is. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. What a good thing it is for us to be reminded that the church is essential because you've made it essential. Father, forgive us if we ever feel as if there's an aspect of the ministry that we do that might be irrelevant or not appropriate for these times. We understand, Lord, that there are precautions we must take, that it is right to practice care for one another as we try to learn uh, more about this sickness. And we pray, Father, that it does come under control. But in the meantime, the mission is still the mission. You call us to be witnesses. So, Father, we pray that we would have the same response that your disciples did so many years ago that we would trust your word, and that we would wait for your leading. Father, help us to witness and follow your leading. Be a witness to our family, to our friends, to this community. Lord, you also know in the midst of all this, there are many needs in our congregation. There are many sorrows that we carry together. There are many um, prayers that we are awaiting answers in your time. Lord, I specifically want to pray this morning for two dear sisters in our church. I want to pray for Rhonda. Father, I pray that you would be at work with Rhonda's mother. I pray that you would use this season to accomplish wonderful, wonderful things. Lord, I pray that you would give Rhonda strength to be a witness to your kindness and your grace and your goodness and your love. I pray that you would just enter that situation, Lord, and fill it with your presence. Lord, I also want to lift up our dear sister, Robin. Lord, we pray that you would bring her family around her and that you would help her. We pray that you would put your hand upon her and protect her. We want to trust her into your care. Lord, there are many other requests and anxieties and worries upon our hearts. And you know how those things can eat away at us. Lord, your word says not one hour can be gained by worrying, and we surely know that we could lose an hour of life. And so we ask, Father, help us to Sabbath, help us to rest and to trust in your power and protection. And Lord, as you answer our prayers, remind us to be a witness. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, let us continue in worshiping this morning as Luke leads us in a closing song. You may know the uh, melody to this one. I'm just going to invite us all to stand, actually, for this, for this final song. And uh, if you'd like to hum with a closed mouth, go ahead. <clears throat>
in our building and you're not in the sanctuary, there is some protocol that we have, which is just to ask if you would wipe down your area. Ushers can help you find the supplies that you need just to make sure we're prepared for the next service. But I think it's such a great reminder to know that Jesus reigns. We have a call to be a witness. Next week, we're going to be looking at how that witness begins to take shape. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 2. I hope you'll come back and join us for worship. We look forward to worshiping together once again. And until that time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit lead us and guide us as we go and be witnesses to His name. Amen. Amen. Please enjoy fellowship as you exit. uh, Head outside. Take time to talk to one another outdoors where it's safest and, and see how each other's doing.